sit down here and move up. Don't move. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. I know it is a holiday weekend, and so we got folks that are on the road, but we are so glad that you're here this morning, and thank you if you're visiting. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. I know that we say this week to week, and I want you to know we really mean it, but if you are looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We would be honored to have you come and work and worship with us here at Olive Branch. If you'd like to meet with the elders, Talk to them, ask them questions. I know they'd be more than happy to accommodate you in that regard. We hope and pray that everyone has a safe and happy 4th of July and that all goes well this summer. Won't be long, we'll be back. Well, kids will be back at school and uh, life will get back on track for a lot of folks, a lot of mamas and daddies that are at home with kids right now. But thank you for being here. I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2 in our study together today. Philippians chapter 2, and the title of our lesson today, The Name Which Is Above Every Name. The name that we're talking about is Jesus. And really Jesus is the focal point of Scripture and His redemptive work. You remember when the angel announced to Joseph in the long ago, that Mary would have a son. And the angel said to Joseph that she shall be called, or rather this child shall be called Jesus. For it is he that will save his people from their sins. In the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus, along with the apostles, are in Caesarea Philippi. And you remember he had asked the disciples on that occasion what people thought about his identity. And they responded by saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked a personal question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then promised to build the church on that bedrock statement, that he was and is the divine Son of the living God. And so today we think about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus, He has a name which is above every name. And so as you look at Philippians chapter 2, there are some things that emerge out of a study of chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In a very real way, Paul takes us to the mountaintop, allowing us to see the provisions that have been made for us in terms of our redemption. I want to begin our study by first and foremost calling your attention to the manifestation of Jesus. Now Paul said, have this mind in you, or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped. In those verses you have a lot of truth. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that I can fully wrap my mind around the magnitude of what the Apostle Paul is saying concerning the Christ. I do believe that there are a couple of thoughts that we need to consider. Number one, Paul bears out the pre-incarnate, pre-existent Christ. Now Paul said, 
He existed in the form of God and counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to at any cost. Reminding us, number one, of the position of Jesus and number two, His perpetuity. The Lord Jesus Christ was not a created being. But rather, what Paul is saying here, He bears all the qualities of deity. He is an eternal being. And He has always existed, just as God the Father and the Holy Spirit have always existed. They comprise what we might call the divine three. So, here is Jesus, second member of the Godhead. You remember John in John chapter 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's who we're talking about. In Colossians chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul talked about the pre-existent Christ, he said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And then listen to this. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Paul is saying there that Jesus was the one who created the world in which we live. John affirms that in verse 3, John chapter 1. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Lord Jesus Christ was the agent by which the world was made. But also, He said He is before all things. In other words, He is antecedent to creation. Jesus has always existed. He will always exist. There has never been a time when the Lord Jesus Christ did not exist. Now, prior to coming and tabernacling in human flesh... He was that eternal Word, side by side with the Father, throughout all of eternity. Matter of fact, eternity past, the Lord Jesus Christ has no beginning point and no ending point. Now, with regard to the incarnate Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ, who was willing to divest himself of certain divine prerogatives, and you think about Jesus willing to leave the glories of heaven, and that all and all that accompanied that, I'm not sure that I can fully grasp all that Jesus gave up to come to planet Earth. I know that there were certain divine, there were certain divine things that Jesus willingly laid to the side for a period of time. For example, when He tabernacled in human flesh, He was no longer omnipresent, which is a trademark of deity. There were times when the Lord Jesus did not demonstrate His omniscient power, that is, His all-knowing ability. There were times when He did. But the Lord Jesus Christ tabernacled in human flesh, and that's what Paul is saying here. He was made in the likeness of men, found in fashion as a man. What was it John said? John 1 verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Imagine if you can, having been present in the first century, and you have had the opportunity to see Jesus visibly with your eyes 
to hear him with your ears, to take note of all the great miracles or signs that he did throughout that three, three and a half period of time, to recognize that you are in the presence of God in the flesh. Now, I said a minute ago, Jesus has always been deity. When he tabernacled in a human body, he did not relinquish his deity. But rather, Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 at verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus Christ was the God-man, fully God and fully man. Now he came to earth to identify with us. And so with that in mind, there's a second thought I want to share with you as we look at Philippians chapter 2. First, the manifestation of Jesus. But secondly, salvation through Jesus. Let's think for a minute or two about the submission of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul said that he became obedient unto death. Yes, even the death of the cross. Now go back and look at the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the coming of the Christ. So in Psalm 40, David in the long ago points down in distant time when Jesus would come and be clothed in a human body. He said, in the scroll of the book, it is written to me, I come or I delight to do your will, O God. Now the Hebrew writer quoted that in Hebrews chapter 10 when he stressed the superiority of Jesus and his priestly work, his death to the law of Moses and that priesthood and the sacrifices that were offered under that particular covenant. And so when you look at Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the one who came to fulfill the will of God. You hear the Hebrew writer saying, sacrifice and offering you had no pleasure in. Then I come in the volume of the book, it's written to me, to do your will, O God. Why did Jesus come to earth? Number one, to fulfill the will of God. And number two, to finish the work of God. Do you remember in John chapter 6, verse 38, when Jesus said, I have come down from heaven? not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Or think about in the shadow of the cross, Jesus praying to the Father. He understands that the cross that He is to bear is imminent. And so He said, Father, I have glorified You on the earth. I have finished the work which You have given me to do. And then John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross. He has been crucified between two thieves, as Isaiah had foretold back in chapter 53. And the Bible says with regard to Christ on the cross that He said, it is finished. The whole redemptive plan rested upon the shoulders of God's only begotten Son. So, something about His, submiss his submissive nature. And you remember the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 5, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Jesus came to fulfill the will of God, and that will carried with it the idea 
of the only begotten Son going to the cross. Now, there's a second thought here. First, the submission of Jesus, but secondly, the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, Paul said he became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. Tomorrow in this country, we celebrate Independence Day. The fact that we enjoy liberty in this nation. The freedoms that we enjoy as a nation of people did not come cheaply. But rather there have been many, many people that have sacrificed their lives for the betterment of this nation. Think about all the blood that has been shed over freedom in this nation. Well, you know, the Bible talks about the freedom, the liberty that we enjoy in Christ. And every first day of the week, we have the opportunity to reflect upon the death of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you show forth the Lord's death till he come again. Well, what about the death of Jesus? What about the Lord Jesus Christ emptying himself? divesting himself of certain divine prerogatives so that he might come to earth and die for our sins. Did you know it entailed the sacrifice of his body? When Jesus was nailed to the cross on Calvary, he had been beaten unmercifully. John said he was scourged. They slapped him in the face. They spat upon him. They placed on his head a crown of thorns. And then the cross itself. He was to bear that cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And because of the intensity and immensity of his suffering, Matthew said he fell beneath the load of that cross. And by the way, that wasn't his cross. It was our cross. They compelled a man by the name of Simon of Serene to bear that cross and do you remember the Apostle Peter said, talking about Jesus, that He bore our sins in His body on the cross. Is it possible when we take communion every first day of the week and as we reflect upon the body that Jesus gave in our stead, that it has become trite, that we fail to really appreciate the body that Jesus gave. In our, I mean, you think about, here is God's Son. Here is the second member of the Godhead willing to leave heaven and all the glories that accompanied that to come to earth, to a sin-cursed earth, to be beaten, humiliated, and to die the shameful death of the cross for us. Does that not say something about the tremendous love that Christ has for us? Didn't Jesus say, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends? No wonder Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and say, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Paul, did you know something about the sacrifice made on your behalf? Well, you remember Galatians 2.20? When Paul said, talking about Christ who loved me, who gave himself for me, Paul understood Jesus willingly emptied himself, divested himself from the glories of heaven to come to earth 
to die on Calvary, and that death entailed his body. That body that was prepared for him in the womb of Mary, the Virgin Mary, that body subjected to humiliation, degradation at the hands of his own creator. I mean, think about it. When you look at Calvary, here is the creator suffering at the hands of creation. Could Jesus not have said, I'm not going through with it? Could he have walked away? Well, certainly he could have. He had that ability. And yet the Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death, listen to this, for every man. I don't care how bad you've been in this life. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you may be. You need to understand God loves you. And that Jesus loved you enough to go to the cross to bear your sins in His body says something about His love. But then what about the sacrifice of His blood? There are some places that I've never been to in this beautiful world. I'd love to go back and to just retrace some of the steps of the soldiers in World War II to go back and to just see visually some of the horrific battlefields where some of our finest men paid the ultimate price for our nation's liberty. Wouldn't you like to go there? See some of those historic sites? They paid the price for our freedom, our liberty, with their blood. The mamas and daddies that buried their children because of war. You think that, do you think those mamas and daddies, do you think they realized that there was something special about the blood that was shed for America? If that had been your child, would that blood have been special? Sure it would. And you send your child off to war and your hope and prayer is that child will return safely. Not every child returned safely. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus shed His blood for our sins. That was God's plan. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That Old Testament system, whether the period of the patriarchs, the Mosaic economy, all of those blood sacrifices could not deal effectively with sin. The Hebrew writer said, in those sacrifices there is a reminder, a remembrance of sin every year. But when Jesus died on Calvary, when He shed His blood, what did that provide for us? Did not Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we have been redeemed? not by corruptible things, silver, gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 7? Said that it's in Him, in Christ, that we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So to know that Jesus tasted death for you, 
Sometimes we fail to bring it down to a personal level. To understand that Jesus shed His blood so that I might have the opportunity to enjoy the forgiveness of all of my sins. Let me tell you what, that's important. Because without Christ, we would, as Paul said, we would be without hope and without God in this world. But in verse 13 of that same chapter, Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by what means? By the blood of Christ. This morning we're going to have the opportunity to reflect upon that blood that was shed when we drink the fruit of the vine. And again, my hope and prayer is that this is not just a quote-unquote ritual that we're going through. That we're mindlessly going through the mechanics of taking the Lord's Supper but that our minds go back to Calvary and that we remember the blood that was shed for our sins. What about God? I mean, here is God giving His only begotten Son, allowing His only begotten Son to live, to die for us. Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We are complete in Christ. That's what Paul said. And so when you're in Christ, you enjoy all the blessings and favors of God. Now there's a third thing that I want to share with you in our study today. It has to do with the exaltation of Jesus. Paul said that God has given him a name which is above every name. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So what about that designation? That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just pause there for a minute. The name of Jesus? You're saying there's something special about that name? Well, in the first century, did names have meaning attached to them? Sure they did. Is there meaning attached to the name that you wear? I suspect so. Go back and look for a minute at Acts chapter 3. You remember the church has begun. Peter and John are preaching and teaching, and they come across a man who is sitting at the gate of the temple. He's lame. He's begging, requesting alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Now listen to him. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. In chapter 4, when Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin council, and they're being interrogated concerning this man that they've healed, and they want to know, by what name, what power have you done this notable deed? In other words, how do you have the power to do that? And the apostle Peter said, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it is through His name, by His name, that this man stands before you whole. And then in verse 12, he's standing before the Jewish hierarchy. 
as he stands in the presence of the council, you think about, go back and look at the first century. The power that the high priest welded and the power of that 70 or 71 member council. And Peter and John are standing before these men. They're being interrogated. And here are Peter and John. They have the presence of mind to understand that the one they're preaching and teaching is the Savior of the world. And they said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name of the heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You want to talk about throwing the gauntlet down? Drawing a line in the sand? To stand before this powerful body, this council, and say, you need to understand something. Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. That's what the world needs to hear today, isn't it? Our world needs to understand that Jesus Christ has a name which is above every name. It's not Jesus plus someone, Jesus minus someone, it's Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen to him in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Remember the apostle Peter? In John chapter 6, he had declared himself to be the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven. Talked about the importance of partaking of his flesh and his blood. And then the Bible says that based upon what the people of that day heard, many of them went back and walked no more with him. They said, this is a hard, a difficult saying. Who can understand it? And when those people began to walk away, Jesus then turned to the twelve and he asked them, will you also go away? And what was it Peter said? Do you remember? Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, that is, the anointed one. We've come to believe that you are the Christ. We've come to believe it and to know it. How'd they come to believe it and know it? Because they heard him. Because they saw the great miracles that he did. And the evidence was before them. And the affirmation of Peter was, you are the son of the living God. And that's who he is today. So first and foremost, there is a designation. And by the way, back in Acts chapter 2, you remember Peter and the apostles preaching on Pentecost Day? When the apostle Peter reached the climactic point of his lesson, and he said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. What are you saying, Peter? He's saying that God is saying, this is the anointed one. He is the Christ and He is the Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He is, as John said, the ruler over the kings of the earth. He has made us a kingdom and a priesthood. And we're blessed to be a part of that if we've obeyed the gospel. Now there's a second thought here. And that is a realization. Paul said that God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. We are going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now here's, here's the point of what we're talking about. You can bow in submission today and enjoy the blessings of salvation. You have that opportunity, that right. 
There is an open invitation to you individually, personally, from the Lord to follow Him. Now just as God's Son was submissive, as the Hebrew writer said, He is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. If you want to enjoy the blessings of salvation, then you've got to be willing to obey Him. can't be your way. can't be what men say is the way. It's got to be what God says. Didn't Jesus say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven? And didn't Jesus say in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So you've got to come to an understanding that Jesus is who He claimed to be. And who is that? He's the Son of God. You've got to come to that conclusion. Now you can say He was a good man, that He was compassionate and kind and loving and merciful and all those other things, and He was and more. But unless you believe that He is the divine Son of God, you will die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. See how important it is to bow in submission to Him today? You can bow today and He will be your Savior. He came to save you from sin. There's no reason at all why you ought to be living in a lost condition. Jesus gave His body for you. He shed His blood on your behalf. He wants you to be saved. The Bible says God would have all men to be saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Truth sets free, right? That's what Jesus said, John 8, verse 32. And Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You can be free from the bondage of sin. Paul said that those who are taken captive by the devil are taken captive to do His will. Whether you realize it or not, if you're in sin, you are imprisoned. You're a slave. A slave to sin. A slave of the devil. But if you put your trust in Jesus, recognizing Him to be the Son of the living God, and then through repentance turn from a life of sin. Listen to what Paul said. He's standing on Mars Hill. He is standing in the midst of some of the great intellectuals of his day. And they were idolatrous. And Paul said the times of ignorance God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. That's an obligation. You want to be submissive to Jesus? You have to repent of all of your sins. You've got to die to the love and the practice of sin. And if you believe in Jesus and you're willing to repent of sin... I have no doubt you would willingly confess Him before others. That you'd do as the eunuch did in the long ago and affirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But we're not done. Now I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today that will wave off baptism. And they'll tell you, you don't have to be baptized into Christ to be saved. But let me tell you what, if they tell you that, they're not telling you the truth of God. Won't you listen to what Jesus said? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Belief, baptism, prior to what? Salvation. Repentance, baptism, prior to the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Did Peter know what he was talking about? What a question. He was an inspired apostle. He's setting before the people in Jerusalem the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. Are you saying then that those terms have never changed? It's exactly right. If you want to become a child of God, you've got to do what they did in the first century. And there's no one on earth that has the right to change the terms of legislation into God's kingdom. 
And when you are baptized into Christ, you enjoy forgiveness of sin, you enjoy salvation, and you enjoy the washing away of sins, and not before. Are we saying then that baptism is the only thing you have to do? Of course not. You've got to believe, repent, and confess the name of Christ. And then you've got to be faithful. So you can bow today in submission to God and you can enjoy salvation. Now here's the flip side. You can ignore what the Lord says. You can ignore the invitation given to you. But you're going to bow. You'll bow tomorrow. There is coming a day when, as Paul said, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You see, today He's your Savior. Tomorrow He's going to be your judge. And if you bow not having obeyed Him, when you bow in His presence before His judgment throne, you're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but you're going to bow and then be condemned. On the one hand, salvation. On the other hand, condemnation. And let me tell you what. I don't care what your position is on earth. Doesn't matter how powerful you are, how wealthy you are. Doesn't matter what type of title that you have out to the side of your name. How great you may be or how great you may think you are. You're going to bow in the presence of Almighty God and you're going to give an account of the deeds done in the body whether you like it or not. That's a fact. Paul said, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account of himself to God. So then we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember Revelation chapter 20? And John lifts the lid there. Have we heard this so much that we just tune it out? Is that possible? I mean, you know, we know it, but we really don't know it. We really don't, we're not worried about it. Let me tell you what, you need to be worried about it. If you're not a child of God, if you're not faithful to God, you need to be thinking about what we're saying right now. Are you listening? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to bow in the presence of God. And you're going to give an account of the deeds that you have done in this, whether you like it or not. Now you can show up on Sunday morning and pay your dues and walk out the door and live like you want to live, but I can tell you right now, my friend, you are facing a future that is not bright. Don't leave here today thinking that you can just live as you please and that you're going to go home and be with God. That's not the case. Not at all. Every tongue shall confess to God. John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Are you ready for the books to be opened? Are you ready for God to judge your life out of the things which are written in this book? You're going to give glory to God, and you're going to bow in His presence, and you will acknowledge whether you like, and that means the infidels of this world. Those who have lived in unbelief, who have castigated Christianity and the Word of God, poke fun at it. Those who are atheistic and agnostic, they will one day bow and they will give glory to God. And you will too. Ought to get our attention. The name which is above every name is Jesus. Here's what Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. 
Are you willing to come to Jesus today, listen please carefully, on His terms? Not on your terms, on His terms. It's not what you think, what you hope. It's based upon factual evidence called the Word of God. And if you obey the words of our Lord, I can promise you this, you will live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Today, Jesus can be your Savior. Tomorrow, He'll be your judge. Could I encourage you? Let Him be your Savior. What would you need to do? Just what we've said already. You need to believe Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism. When you do that, God will put you in the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And then you've got to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you faithful to God? When you stand before God and you bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, will He own you as one of His faithful? Or will He say to you, Depart from me, you cursed and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels? If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.